focus text today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. <laughs> well, any questions? Pretty straightforward, right? Whoever does not hate father, mother, wife, children, and life cannot be a follower of Jesus. Whoever does not give up everything cannot be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> so, any takers? Who wants to sign up for that? Oh yeah, don't all raise your hand at once. So first, I hope this is obvious, but I don't think Jesus exactly wants you to hate your family or really anybody for that matter. I don't think Jesus wants you to give up everything you have. So can we agree on that? The many different biblical writers, including the ones who wrote down stories about Jesus, they used literary techniques just like any other author. Hyperbole is used to make a point not to be taken literally. This gospel writer is not advocating intense hostility toward family and one's life, but instead is trying to say that you cannot allow something that has less value to display something that has more value. The way of Jesus is valuable, so don't let other things in your life displace that. <laughs> so, if we can move beyond the shock factor of the hate language, what is the point that the author is trying to make? And most importantly, what does that mean for us? The first sentence in this story is the setup. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. In other words, Jesus is popular. Jesus has a following. Jesus has a reputation. He is a minor celebrity. As we read last week, Jesus is being invited to all the right dinner parties thrown by high-ranking officials. The average person is intrigued by this guy, to say the least. I would assume that this is a good thing. <laughs> I tried really hard to be popular when I was younger, but I can never pull it off. Never could. Now, when I interact and work with students right now who have, are born, you know, in the 2000s, one of the things that I like to say when introducing myself is that I was born in the 1900s. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of weird to say, uh, and people get a kick out of that normally. But I can tell you this, as an adolescent in the last decade of the 1900s, I did what I thought I needed to do to be popular. I copied other popular people. <laughs> I wore the right jeans. I wore the right shoes. I had Nike socks, a starter jacket. 
I even used the right words. I looked and sounded like every suburban Midwestern kid, but I never achieved the level of popularity that I wanted. Now, organizations, they want the same thing. They hire marketing experts to promote their product, their brand, to tell their story so that it's in front of you. Uh, to be a household name is the goal of any organization, including nonprofits like churches. Honestly, uh, we want to be popular too, right? We want people to come in the doors. We want people to sit in our pews and to attend our ministry programs. Uh, we want people to value what we do, to put money in the offering plates. Uh, when you type Bethlehem Church into your search engine, we want to be the number one search result. In the era of the stock market, social media, self-publishing, YouTube, infinite growth time period, people will spend their entire lives trying to increase their numbers, trying to increase their influence, their 401ks, their crowd size, their followers, their subscribers, their viewerships. So. I find it really weird that Jesus, having obtained what for so many people and organizations is the goal, it's what they're striving for, he turns to his many subscribers and his many followers and his many fans and disciples and, well, he basically throws cold water all over them. It's like Jesus is irritated. He does not appreciate that he is trending and becoming the object of conversation. Enter the exaggerated comments about hating family and giving everything away. And the point is clear. Jesus is saying, don't follow me, follow me because others are, because it's the right thing to do, because you want to fit in, because you want to be a part of a club. No, 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 no. There is a cost to doing what I do, and everyone needs to know that. That really is the question. It, and this question, it, it just comes right out of this reading. What, what is the cost of discipleship, of following in the way of Jesus? And, and the follow-up question to that is, is it worth it? Now, some of you have never even thought about this question because you came to your faith life the same way that you chose your nationality and your parents. You were born into it. It, it, it became one of your communities that you grew up with and it stuck because, well, I don't know, a combination of tradition and you enjoyed the people and all these things that went right for you. Then some others of you have approached this question through our cultural lens in a very consumeristic kind of way, essentially running a cost analysis like businesses do. And so you might say this, well, let's see, this group of Jesus followers or church, they meet only twice on Sunday and then on Monday night. And oh, but look at this one. This one has a Wednesday option. Oh, this one has a lot of expectations and membership requirements. Oh, but look at this congregation over here. Yeah, they don't have as many options, but isn't this the one that all of our kids' friends go to? That sounds kind of nice. And oh, oh my gosh, they have great coffee too, <laughs> right? So just so you know, I don't think any of these are what Jesus has in mind when he asks people to consider the cost of following in his way and living into the kingdom of God that he proclaims. What I find absolutely intriguing right now 
is that over the past few years, COVID has forced this question on every person in this country who attended and engaged in a faith-based community. As in-person ministry just stopped at the height of the pandemic, people were forced, they were forced to step back and they were forced to reconsider those things that they were prioritizing in their, in their life. This allowed people to take a breath, to slow down and eventually to ask this really important question, is it worth it? For many, the answer was yes, but for just as many, the answer was no, or, or, or maybe to be fair, more accurately, the answer was, I don't know. Now, there is a section in Matthew and Luke's Gospels where John the Baptist sends people to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah, or in other words, the one sent from God to build up the kingdom of God. And they ask this because Jesus doesn't look anything like they expect. And they are kind of weighing their options and want to know if it's going to be worth following him. Is the return on the investment enough? And so they ask Jesus to point to something that they can bring back to their leader as a really good reason for following in his way. And what's fascinating is what Jesus does not say. In response, Jesus does not say, well, look at my large following. Why would you not want to be a part of this? He does not talk about um, personal gain in this life or the next. He does not give an intellectual, rational argument or a cost analysis. Instead, he simply says, look around you. I mean, seriously, look around you. Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus' ministry is a ministry on the margins. It's a ministry directed at the least and most vulnerable of, of people in our society. It's a ministry that reveals God's grace, mercy, and compassion, and how that is in fact for all people, not just for some people. And Jesus says that if you are going to go down with me on this road, follow me on this road, be my disciples, that will cost you. Coming to terms with God's indiscriminate grace, love, and mercy will cost you something. It really will. Let me tell you this, if love is truly going to be love, then it has to exist without conditions. If you attach conditions to love, it's something else. I will love you when or I will love you if. That's not love. And the same is true of grace, and the same is true of compassion. Once you attach conditions, they become something else entirely. If God's love, grace, and compassion are real, then they exist without conditions. And if you are to follow in this way, to live as a disciple of Jesus, learning to practice love, grace, and compassion without conditions, then you will lose something. You will have to lose your black and white sense of fairness where everybody gets what they deserve. You will lose your sense of hierarchy where you know who is better than who. You will lose your neat and organized box in which you have placed your life and God because it will fall apart in the world of unconditional grace, mercy, and love because you don't know where it's headed. <laughs> and yet, is it worth it? Again, Jesus says, look around you. 
see what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, the poor have good news brought to them. Let me expand that for you. The single parent has support. The grieving have comfort. The lonely teenager has a friend. The elderly woman knows that she has value even though she can't do what she used to do. The addicts have second chances. The criminal can be forgiven. Hungry children at school are fed. The homeless, mentally ill man has a place to sleep and exhausted parents have support. God, is it worth it? Yeah, I, I can't answer that for you. And it depends on what you're looking for, I guess. The way of Jesus brings real hope and real love to a world that is often at war and all out of grace, all out of compassion and all out of hope. As we are moving into the fall and are, are kicking off our new theme with our faith formation, as, as we enter into this time of ministry, may you come to terms with the cost of discipleship and know the life that comes through this community as we take on the risk of following in the way of Jesus. This is the good news that we hear today. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. After hearing our focus reading and the reflection on that reading, here are a couple of reflection questions that you can discuss with your family, journal about, or think about individually to help you develop a deeper and more robust faith. So, question number one, what is the cost of following Jesus' example of practicing unconditional love, grace, and mercy? And the short but important question for number two, is it worth it?